So first of all, I'd like to introduce myself uh, to you. My name is Charles Small. I'm the director of ISGA, which is the Institute for the Study of Global Antisemitism and Policy. Uh, I'm originally from Montreal, and I went to McGill as an undergraduate uh, student. So it's nice to be back. Um, ISGA, our main office is in New York City, but we're doing programming at McGill. This is the first uh, event of, uh, during the academic year. We're going to have seminars throughout the year. We're also doing the same at the Harvard Law School, Stanford University, and Fordham, and we're at Fordham University in Manhattan. And we're also going to be doing programming in uh, Europe, in uh, Paris, in Warsaw. Uh, we're doing work as well in Israel. And the purpose of what we're trying to achieve, and I'm going to give you a, a short introduction before we have our eminent uh, scholar that we've come to hear. Um, basically, ISGAP is trying to put on the map the study of anti-Semitism. And amazingly, and I won't go into a long uh, discourse, but there are people studying anti-Semitism, mostly in its historical context, but very few scholars are, are dealing with the contemporary context, and there are very few institutional frameworks, if you will, institutes, research centers, dealing with contemporary anti-Semitism. Um, in fact, I was part of the group that started the, a program at Yale. It was the first research center on anti-Semitism ever at a North American university, which ought to be a study in and of itself. And it's time now that people engage the study of anti-Semitism in the academy, in the media. Contemporary anti-Semitism is a taboo, that if you engage contemporary issues of anti-Semitism, that somehow you're a neoconservative, you're a neocon, you're an advocate and not, not an academic or a scholar, you're not objective, somehow you're Islamophobic. And this type of political correctness is dangerous not just to the Jews. And if you think about it, anti-Semitism at a moral and an ethical level is not a Jewish problem. Ethically, hatred is a problem for those who hate. And yes, Jews suffer and have suffered from this hatred, but on a moral and philosophical level, it's not a Jewish problem. And anti-Semitism, if you study it historically, there are many instances in which anti-Semitism begins with Jews, but it never ends with Jews. This is a human rights issue. If, you, if, if you're concerned about religious pluralism, democratic principles, the notion of strong citizenship, the rights of religious minorities, the rights of women, the rights of gay people. This is a basic human rights issue that ought to be at the forefront of the agenda in the academy, the research agenda, uh, and in the media, and the like. The rise of radical political Islam, and not speaking about Muslims, and not speaking about Islam, but radical jihadist Islam, has as its fuel, the fuel which is firing the social movement, which is gaining more and more power, uses anti-Semitism as a vehicle to attract supporters. And without being melodramatic, and I'm choosing my words carefully and scientifically, that this anti-Semitism is genocidal. It's genocidal. The revolutionary regime of Iran, the Muslim Brotherhood, in which some liberals claim it's just a bump in the road or they're moderates, these people openly and consistently and clearly 
our oath to eradicate the self-determination of Jewish people in Israel, and their oath to exterminate Jews. If you listen to the speeches of Kaladari, the spiritual leader of the Muslim Brotherhood, he's clear and he's unequivocal. If you look at the Iranian revolutionary regime, not the Iranian people, but the regime, they're clear and unequivocal. And we in the West are putting our heads in the sand. We in the West, when a scholar gets up and starts to study these issues, they become marginalized, they are accused of all sorts of things. Hopefully, through these seminar series of high caliber scholarship, we have some of the leading scholars in the world coming to McGill, to Fordham, to Stanford, to Harvard, to deal with these issues at the highest caliber of scholarship and intellectual inquiry, Hopefully students and other academic <coughs> colleagues will begin to engage this issue seriously, to debate it, to discuss it, to argue, to write, to do research, to argue in the classroom and to go into the pub and to continue the argument, vigorous arguments. And we need to wake people up because as we speak, we've been doing this now since 2004 and we can see the rise of radical Islam is just off the charts. And who, if I would have, I was telling somebody earlier in the lobby, if I would have told you three years ago, four years ago, that the American government, the American administration, would be supporting the Muslim Brotherhood, you would tell me I'm crazy. And yet, the American government is supporting the Brotherhood with aid, the Egyptian government, they helped to train them, and I urge you to look at the Obama speech of 2009, which will go down in history as something more detrimental, more powerful, more damaging than the speech that Churchill gave when he came back from, from Germany. Chamberlain. I'm sorry. Not Churchill. Chamberlain. Thank you. Chamberlain. That this, and you should go home tonight and watch this on YouTube and, and think about what was discussed and what was said. We need to to analyze, to, to do research, to do publications, and to create awareness. So first of all, we're having our first lecture today with Professor Siboni, Daniel Siboni. I would like to introduce to you Raphael, Raphael Fischler, who's a professor at McGill. So Raphael is a, a colleague and an old friend, and Raphael will be hosting the um, the seminar series at McGill, which will take place roughly every two weeks in the Leacock building. Uh, in two weeks, we have Jonathan Spire, who's a PhD from the School of Oriental and African Studies in London. He's a professor at the IDC in Herzliya. He just snuck in twice to Syria and is reporting amazing stuff uh, in Syria and the contemporary carnage that takes place uh, as we speak. And he, he'll be here in two weeks. He's a, a serious uh, scholar. So I'm hopeful that this is our launch. I'm hopeful that the people here will come back for other events. The, the program is very good at McGill. And to become a part of a, a group of intellectuals that if you care about human rights, forget about Israel, forget about the Jews, forget about anti-Semitism for a moment. If you care about human rights, if you care about citizenship and democratic principles, if you care about the reproductive rights of women and the rights of all citizens in the United States and North America to marry anybody who they love, as the Democratic Party based their convention on, then we need to be very concerned about what's going on 
in the, in, in the Middle East and around the world because women in those countries have, ought to have the same rights as women in this country. And these are very pressing issues. Reactionary movements are reactionary movements. I hope that through this seminar series that we can connect scholars in different parts of the world, different parts of North America, and try to begin to discuss, to understand this, these changes which are taking place in the world, in the Middle East, in Europe, in East Africa, in West Africa, literally all over the world. We need to understand what's happening. We need to engage it, discuss it, and analyze it. Today, we have uh, an amazing, uh, it's an amazing honor for us that Professor Daniel Siboni is here. And he's the first uh, speaker of the seminar series at McGill, the launch of ISGAF uh, here in, in McGill. Daniel Siboni is uh, an amazing scholar. He's a writer, he's a philosopher, he's a psychoanalyst, and a mathematician. He has PhDs in all of these uh, disciplines. He studied with the pioneering scholar, with, with pioneering scholars such as the great philosopher Emmanuel Levinas, who was on his um, on his uh, doctorate uh, committee, who, who he knew and studied with, and wrote a critique of. He also uh, worked with Jacques Lacan. He holds a PhD in mathematics from the University of Paris and a doctorate in philosophy, which he received under Levinas. He also trained in psychoanalysis and analysis by the pioneering Jacques Lacan, and he taught at the University of Paris from 1963 to 2000. Dr. Siboni divides his time between psychoanalysis research, practice, lecturing, and writing. He's written more than 37 books, some of which are on sale here, including Creation, Creation an Essay on Contemporary Art, uh, the Enigma the Antisemitism, the and the enigma of anti-Semitism. He's written on issues of racism, <coughs> racism, identity, and hatred, and, and the like. So this is very much, uh, the, the issues tonight are very much um, a part of his expertise. So it's really an honor to have Dr. Simone. Thank you. Well, Thank you for uh, inviting me to speak about a subject. Uh, I worked a lot about it. Uh, and uh, I'll try to give uh, some lights and to show you how this subject is uh, complex, complicated. And after that, I will show you how it is very simple. But before, you have to, to hear the complexity. <clears throat> First of all, the word anti-Semitism is not uh, the right word, because uh, you can hear a lot of uh, People in, uh, people in Arab country saying, how could we uh, be anti-Semitic? We are Semitic. So the expression is uh, incorrect, but uh, well, let's keep it as uh, a lot of other inadequate expressions. I think uh, the right expression could be the 
vindicacy or the hatred or the aggressivity towards the Jewish people, the people, the whole, as a whole, not towards individuals. Because, uh, for instance, in, uh, in Morocco, where I lived, uh, well, uh, we had uh, a secondary status. We were living under scorn, we can say, but we were respected as individuals. But when the Jewish people has had opportunity, for instance, to go to Israel or to go to other countries, then something more violent appeared. And it is exactly what I would like to enlighten. What is interesting in anti-Semitism is uh, not exactly the target, but the motivation of the people who feel this effect, this anti-Semitic effect. Because the target, of course, is uh, paradoxical. The Jewish identity is uh, impossible to define because you can find a Jewish from uh, New York, a businessman, a Jewish in Ukraine, a Jewish in, uh, in, uh, in uh, Tunisia, and they, 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 they don't feed. They have not a religious Jewish, an religious one, a Zionist one, an anti-Zionist one. So you cannot define, and usually people define Jewish identity as religion. This is a heavy, a deep mistake, because there are a lot of Jewish that are not religious. For instance, in Islamic countries, usually people think that uh, Jewish is a religion. Once I was in Morocco, and I discussed with, with the taxi man, and he told me, oh, you are Jewish, I speak Arabic, because I was born in Marrakesh, and came to Paris at 13. And he told me, oh, Jewish, we are cousins, we have the same God. I told him, because I was uh, wanted to, to speak, I told him, I'm not sure it is the same God. And uh, he told, uh, yes, but <coughs> our cousin, you are a religion. And I said, no, we are not a religion. What do you think about the masses of Jewish that has been exterminated by the, by the Nazis and that were not religious. And he answered me, yes, but this is the mistake of the Nazis. So for him, it was evident it is religion. Of course, uh, it's not. And this is included in a lot of contradictions of this identity. 
which uh, seems talented to exist despite its contradictions. And maybe this is the first reason for the anti-Semitic hatred. I even can tell that if you, a man or a woman, if you feel that somebody hates you, not because you have done this or that, but just because of your existence, because you exist, you can feel the significance of the hatred against Jewish people, because Jewish people exist despite all the contradictions, all the obstacles, all the catastrophes. And in a certain sense, I could say that anti-Semitism exists from the beginning of the Jewish people. It means that even inside the Jewish people, there are expressions, currents, against himself. And this seems to be very interesting, because maybe it is the unique, the sole identity that I know, who uh, affirms itself, who poses itself as existent, and who fights against itself. You cannot give me another example of an identity who can show its uh, fundamental book, let's say the Bible, and you open it, and uh, three pages on four are violence against Jewish people. Because he doesn't listen, he doesn't behave well, he doesn't, uh, he's, uh, He's not faithful, he he's traitor, things like that. So it's a, an identity that tries to exist, including its failures. And the big failure that the Jewish people has brought with him is the invention of that God. Because inventing a God that is called the being, or being, Yahweh, Yudevave, the tetragram, inventing that God was almost crazy. Because you invent, or you create, or you imagine that God if you imagine that God, you are already guilty. Because whatever you do, it's not exactly well done. And for this, from the first pages of the book, there are uh, strong and violent, and violent words against that people. So, we have a, a strange identity 
with a lot of contradictions, an identity who can speak against herself, but maintain herself. And in my latest book, I called that movement from identity to existence. That means that a lot of people, a lot of group, try to have a good identity, an identity without too much holes, without too much failures. And when they have, when they have a failure, they usually project it on the other. They say, we fail in that case because of this one and this. So the natural effort is to have a complete identity, a stable identity. When it is not stable, the person gets nervous. And I can find this even among Jewish, of course. I often hear Jewish saying to me, uh, well, it's difficult to bear that, uh, uh, that uh, exploded identity with so much parts. Uh, I can say, well, try to do uh, <laughs> your best. It can be, it can be fruitful to have uh, uh, an identity uh, like a, a mosaic uh, with a lot of possibilities. Try to, to play your, your play of life. The, yeah, but it's very difficult. It, there is almost a joke, a Jewish joke, where uh, someone comes to, to raise funds, and he says, well, funds for what? For studying the Torah. Oh, very nice. How much you want? Yeah. Well, one million dollars. Listen, I give you two million, and you bring back this Torah from where you have taken it. It means that it brings problems, a lot of problems. But it brings also to that identity the, I, can, I could say, the impulsion to to confront problems, to, to raise questions about oneself, about the other, about... Uh, uh, normally, a Jewish cannot be... Comment dit d'accord avec lui-même? Cannot really agree with, it, with itself, with himself. He cannot. There is also a joke of Robinson Crusoe, who was showing his island, and uh, when they rescued him, and he showed the first a synagogue, oh, wonderful. And the second one, and he said, in this one, I never enter. It is that uh, the contradiction is really deep. Now, it means that this identity, these people, has a very strange history. If you read the history of, Jew, of the Hebrews in the Bible, you will see a lot of uh, uh, wars, of crises, of uh, fightings. It's, it's never peaceful because this identity is surrounded by people who 
don't like an unstable identity. So now I, I put it, I put my first idea. When an identity cannot bear its own contradictions, it has the beginning of a strong aggressivity towards Jewish identity. This is evident. For instance, uh, with the Nazis, it is uh, very clear. The Hitler has told, uh, we have to kill the Jewish in ourselves. It means that we have a, a, a beautiful Aryan identity, and these people are spoiling it, spoiling it with their contradiction, with their, uh, we have to, to erase them. Well, it means that one of the aspects of anti-Semitism is uh, the project of building a stable, well-defined identity, which excludes an a strange identity which is uh, at the same time singular and universal. I call it singularly universal, which means that they try to solve a, a, prob a singular problem in a, an universal way, but they always remain singular. So, uh, you have to know that this violence against Jewish people, uh, we have traces of it. Uh, it's testified by text very uh, long time early, earlier than the beginning of the two other uh, religions. It means that every uh, people gives his own character to that problem towards Jewish identity. For instance, uh, Christianity uh, has been uh, a lot uh, aggressive against Jewish people because it, it began by solving the problem of existence. That was the problem of Jewish people, which was a failure between uh, past and future, a failure between uh, what we are and what we could be, between uh, God and, uh, and, uh, and uh, mankind. And so Christianity has solved the problem. God has sent his son, and his son has taken on himself all your failures. Well, the problem is solved. So, Jewish people is useless. Why does he remain? And I could say another aspect of anti-Semitism is the aggressive surprise when you see someone or some group who is supposed to be dead 
and who remains alive. Because after the Shoah, some people could think, well, uh, they are still here. And they are supposed, the problem was supposed to be solved. Another can say, well, uh, they have uh, their country. What do they do here? Yes, it could be a solution. But at every time, there is uh, the idea, the structure of this idea. The, there is a German word which is uh, unheimlich. Unheimlich, uncanny. Jewish is uncanny. Uh, unheimlich because it is supposed to be a side and it remains on the scenery. With the Islam, it is uh, almost the same problem, uh, a bit, a uh, little different, because uh, Islam has, uh, in a certain sense, also solved the problem of uh, the relation with life, with God. He says, with the being, he says, everyone is submitted to God. And submission is exactly the significance of the word Islam in Arabic. So when you are submitted, you are Islamic. This is the fundamental idea. This uh, shows also, also that it's very logical that in the Quran, the most of the uh, hero, the biblical heroes, are Muslim. Of course, because they are submitted to God. A lot of people do not know that aspect. Which means that if you reject that message, and of course, the Jewish people has not accepted that solution, said, we stay as we are. So they are uncanny, they are strange, they are not uh, in the right way. I can give you an example, very precise, of the, the kind of problems that uh, this creates in uh, the, Muslim, the Islamic uh, area. For instance, in the Quran, there is one or two verses that alludes to Jerusalem. But not naming Jerusalem, like in the Bible, just saying, and that night I saw the farthest mosquée. La mosquée lointaine. How do we say? The faraway mosque. Of course, at the people explain, Islamic experts explain that faraway mosque was the temple of Jerusalem. Because there was not a mosque at the, the time of Mahomet. Okay? But you can understand that if Moses is Muslim, of course the temple can be a mosque. Okay? 
But when the what? Oui, mais mais ça c'est euh, en 600 et quelques quand le Coran a été écrit. Bien sûr, mais il a vu, il a eu la vision. C'est une vision, voilà. Donc euh, Mahomet a eu la vision, has had the vision of a far away mosque. But when the Muslim troops conquered Jerusalem, they built a mosque on the place of the temple, and they called it the faraway mosque, Al-Aqsa. It comes from that, from that verse of the Quran. So you see, there is an integration of the Jewish message that is a, The, the Quran builds a new identity which includes all what was before so that he solves the contradiction. Of course, life gives some, uh, some shocks to that kind of solution. And uh, we know the effects uh, of history because uh, But you have to imagine, for instance, imagine a, a, a Muslim child who is raised in the Quran. He loves Mahomet, of course. Mahomet is at the top of the, all the values. And he hears that Jewish has rejected that man when he meets real Jewish in the street, he has a strange feeling of people who have rejected the top of the top of the values. So, it's really an existential problem. By the way, the question that uh, has been raised before by Michael, is it, is why today uh, studies on, on anti-Semitism are taboo? You can now get the solution, it's evident. Because Islam has a big problem with Jewish people. Because he has solved the question of the Jewish people. Jewish people is useless and is uh, repressed, is, uh, has not to be on the scenery because he normally is submitted. Normally, Jewish people is Islamic. If he is not, these are uh, traitors. But uh, in uh, usual life, You meet Jewish people, you meet uh, their uh, state. And the problem is that in the Western world, there is a great deal of Islamophobia. Not in the usual sense that uh, people don't love Islamic people or Muslims. It's not in that sense. It is in the sense that 
the establishment and people fear to speak about subjects that can raise a problem for Islamic people. This is Islamophobia. And maybe this will evolve and this will change, but till now there is Islamophobia, which means you want to study anti-Semitic? It's not a, it's, it's subject, this subject will raise problems with Islam. Please, don't do it. Of course, we don't hate Jewish. We love you. But please, don't do it. Go away. And for this, <laughs> you have like an appearance of anti-Semitism. But it's not anti-Semitism. I don't think so. I think it's phobia towards Islamic world. Because Islamic world has a great problem with that people, because uh, with the Jewish uh, people, because all his text is constructed upon the Bible to include it. If the inclusion doesn't work, doesn't fit, there is a a great deal of anger. Who are these guys who are solved? Their problem is solved in our text, but they remain alive and they remain as they want to be. This is, in a certain sense, unbearable. Of course, in life, Life uh, solves a lot of problems. There is always in Islamic space a coexistence between a conviviality, that is, we can laugh, we can drink, we can eat, we can uh, work together without any problem. But if the fundamentals, if someone, uh, for instance, uh, make a criticism, is critical to something. For instance, if he makes caricatures, it is impossible. If he writes the fantasy of the prophet Salomon, eh, eh, Mohammed in uh, like Salman Rushdie, it is impossible. So we have an, the big uh, Islamic identity which wants to be stable, to be complete, which is perfect in a certain sense. Because if you are submitted, the others are the unsubmitted. The others are those who create problems. Who are, uh, in Arabic, it's kafirin. Kafirin is traitors. So, uh, you, you can, extend this analyze to a more general frame and we can say that Jewish people is an objection to any kind of perfect identity. And he is the first example 
of imperfect identity. That is of an identity which cannot solve its contradictions. This is very interesting, I think. Uh, <laughs> it's a, the, a unique case in, the history, in history of uh, an identity who shows you his book, the Bible, and show you, you see all that laws, we are unable to fulfill them. Oh, nice to meet you. But people, what people want to hear is, see, look at our laws. We are proud of them. But we are proud of being unable to fulfill them, but to maintain the link with them. To maintain that transmission. Well, but this is exactly what happens in life with individuals. I think that the narcissistic aggressivity of an individual towards another, towards you, is raises when he say he he sees that your existence can be an objection to his narcissism, to his perfection, to his, to his dream of perfection. So he can get aggressive. You have done nothing but your way of existing with a lot of contradictions, with uh, dreams, uh, fulfillments, failures, all that, seemed to him uh, very strange. So he can get, uh, he can uh, enter in deep uh, anxiety, maybe in phobia. He doesn't want to meet you. Now I can, I will give you another example. You have written a book, and in this book, you have put all the best of your thoughts, of your life, of, of uh, what you are. And it had not been a bestseller, but uh, it had had a, a reasonable success. Comes another one who takes parts of your book and he builds a bestseller, a world bestseller. A very well sell the known book. The result is that that man don't want to meet you in the cocktail for his book. <laughs> Why? Because you have been between him and the idea that you got before, but that has been fruitful in his hands. See, this is exactly what appears in uh, a lot of situations. I call this the second first complex. I will explain it. <laughs> that is, you are the first, but when a second comes, he wants to take your place. He, can, he could say, I read the book of Mr. X. And I found it interesting, interesting, but I will present you another version 
This is my version. It could be. But what he wants is to hide you, to remove you, to be the first who has written that thing. This is what happened with that poor uh, guys with their Bible. They come, they study it. They, it's not a big success, but even among them, but it's a book. And come, come some other people who say, no, it's not. A, the real version is this one. And for instance, I can give you examples. I, I read somewhere in the Islamic study that the Quran corrects the Bible in a lot of aspects. For instance, in the Bible, the King Solomon has built the Temple of Jerusalem, of course. But he has also built a temple for the idolatric cult for his women. It's written, well, he was not uh, very strong uh, relatively to sexual passions. It can happen even to him. So he built the temple. The Islamic tradition said it cannot be. He has made mistakes, but he has regretted them, and he has been forgiven. You cannot write that Salomon has failed. So it's a, like a, a project to repair the failures, even for people. And this can create a lot of difficulties, because life is not so idealistic. I think the Bible is a great book because you have nobody there to identify with. But maybe later you can identify with Jesus because he is beautiful, he's, he solves, he takes, he forgives. And, but in the Bible, everyone fails one moment or the other. But the book is really close to life. It's a good book. I suggest you to read. <laughs> so, uh, the, in a certain sense, anti-Semitism, anti uh, the feeling towards a problematic identity, like Jewish identity, could be an opportunity to analyze what is the problem for the perfect identity. And I think that this now is, comes closer and closer to existential problems, that is, individuals. You are, every one of you, is a small Jewish people, that is, an identity with a lot of contradictions that can tolerate another identity with a lot of contradictions, but that can not tolerate it, that can be violent. Yes, you have said this, it's impossible, and 
can begin to fight with you because your existence is to a stable identity. So what could we... I, I prefer stop and hear your question, but for two or three minutes, what could we hope? What could we hope with that kind of situation? Of course, when I said that there is a phobia, when someone is phobic, you cannot do a lot. You are really without any power. You have to, to wait or to work so that his fear, his phobia uh, can uh, diminish so that he can speak because someone who is phobic and now in Western world there is a phobia of what? And you can understand it, a phobia of what could happen if you speak, even without being critical, even only in studying problems, in playing with some concepts. You are a, a, a director of a theater in, uh, in uh, Manhattan. You had uh, one of your, uh, in, the, in the play there was Mohammed. The director removed. No, please, don't speak about it. We don't want problems. But Jewish identity is a problem. And is a symbol of the existential problem of everyone. Thank you. that in, uh, even in the texts about involving Moses, the idea of perfection was always an idea, no more. Because at the very beginning, they fail. We, the, the episode of the, comment dit le vaudor? Yeah, the golden calf is very interesting. They received the law. They are supposed to receive the law in a volcanic eruption in the Sinai. So they are very close to the truth, to the perfection. Three weeks later, they build a, a golden scarf. What is that? This is human being. No more. That is, and the Bible tries to, to deal with that, to work with that. And even in his last poem, Moses says, you are a very, very difficult people. I know that you will fail after my death, as you failed before my death. He says that, it's written. So it's not a project of the idea of perfection is always a, a, a project for everybody of us. 
every morning we try to be better, but we fail. What do you do with this failure? This is the interesting problem. Michael. Because uh, the usual objection against Israel is not that Israel is imperfect. Because, of course, Israel is imperfect. What country is perfect? The real objection is Israel has been built on the Arabic, on an Arabic land by Jewish who had nothing to do with that place, and they took uh, the a part of land of the others, and this is unjust. This is the usual. So let us uh, attack or criticize Israel for its imperfection, but usually it is for its existence. This is a an interesting symbolic question, because <clears throat> first, what is the link of Jewish people with that land? Of course, if you are a naive believer, you can say God has promised that land to the, these people. Finished. Problem is solved. But you have to interpret it. So what does it mean for someone who doesn't believe in that or in God? What does it mean? I suggest an idea. The idea is that in the old, old times, there was a people who has built himself upon the idea that there is love for him in the being, in life. And that second, this will create for him a lot of problems. Because if you look loved by life, by being the being, the others are not very happy with that. They, will f they want to find where have you have taken that love. And they can spoil your life just to show you that you are not loved by life. So, but in that transmission of love of life, love of being, there was the idea that we are supposed to be in that place. That place is ours. 
Well, but if you say that place is mine, it has no words. But if you say that place is ours and you transmit it to your children. If your children transmit this to their children after three or four generations, and of course after 20, 30 generations, nobody else can build sovereignty in that place. And this is what happened. Jerusalem, nobody in the history since the old Hebrews, nobody has been able to build this city as, let's say, a capital or something uh, uh, wonderful. There has been an episode with uh, uh, the Croisade, Crusade. They, they came, they wanted their ideal, the city of Jesus. They were defeated. And after they defeat, their defeat, no, nothing was done by this city. So there is a relation that I call of possession. Possession. That is, <coughs> for instance, if you have a, a jewel that your mother uh, has given to you, and she says that her mother has given it to to her, and the mother of the mother has given, and this jewel comes from centuries to you. It's a, like a sacred. You can, you, not only you possess that jewel, but you are possessed by it. Jewish people have that kind of link with that earth. And of course, this is a problem for uh, Muslim believers, which means all Muslims, because when they see that that link has been finished by the Islamic solution, they say, what are you doing here? So it is the rivality between two symbolic transmissions the Jewish one, the Islamic one, that derives from the Jewish one. Because as I told, Quran is built from the Bible. And this is a problem. So the imperfection of Israel, I think, is very often included in this, in its unbearable existence for some people. Just a moment, about tikkun olam. Tikkun olam is repairing the world, is improving the world. Of course, it's an idea which is not in the Bible, but it is in the tradition. Of course, it's a, it's a problematic, problematic idea, as every Jewish idea is problematic, because you try to improve the world, but of course, you have to improve yourself at the same time. So if you are a bad man that tries to improve the world, it uh, can create problems. If you are a 
good man that uh, fails to improve himself and uh, fails also to improve the world, it can uh, work as a project, an ideal project. Try to improve. Well, <laughs> please. Suddenly blew apart in the 21st century. It became another type of anti-Semitism. Oh. Uh, I understand. Uh, first, uh, yeah, I suppose you, you know that in Spain, in the till the 14th century, in, in a very small period, uh, there was a certain kind of tolerance because. I can say, of the happiness of the king. Sovereignty, Muslim sovereignty, was happy, was satisfied. Had no problem that contests, that, uh, that shakes its power. It had not the feeling of a danger. And when the danger came, it came for both, for Arabs and Jewish. They were expelled. But before, they were, they were in a tolerance. We, you cannot also idealize, because you have to know that Jewish were in a dimi status, which is inferior, but it was sufficient for them. And there was a conviviality that cannot be idealized, but was good. But when? The sovereign is in danger, it's finished. For instance, Jewish, has, Jewish people have lived in Morocco long before the Arab came. I found manuscripts in my name uh, uh, a century before uh, the year 1000. So it was a a real uh, presence of Jewish people there. But when, for instance, there were the war of 48 in the Middle East, the, it became difficult for the Jewish because they were, there were Jewish guys in the Middle East who were fighting against Arabics and the it is impossible to think it because Jewish people had to be very humble, very, very low. How could they fight and even win? When, so there was a wave of Jewish that went away. After in 67, there was, a, there was another wave, stronger. How could they fight in six days? So, when the sovereignty, when the identity is quiet, happy, no problem, with another identity, even if it is problematic. You say, oh, they are very strange, that the guys, that Jewish. But when the identity feels unstable, 
And this is the case of the Muslim world in the whole globe in the 21st century. So it, it goes back to its fundamentals. And it, in its fundamentals, they, they find a real deep problem with this Jewish identity, with these people. And they, it can be expressed in very simple ways. For instance, you can hear now, in uh, uh, 2012, uh, a very important imam saying, well, Jewish people, we love you, we have nothing against you, but please tell us why is it uh, on Arabic, an Arabic land that you have to take your, your uh, state of Israel. Take it elsewhere. Why have, I, have we to pay for the Shoah, for what Europe did? So you can explain to him, but please, you know by your Quran that there is a link of possession between that people and that land. No. This is an old history. Uh, nowadays, Jewish people has nothing to do with that. But the paradox of Jewish people is that it maintains the link despite all difficulties. And there is a link. Even if uh, a Jewish of uh, 21st century we would not recognize a Jewish of 14th century, but there is a link. That's yes. Uh, Hitler wrote Mein Kampf and told the world exactly what he planned for the Jewish people. In the 21st century, the radical Islamists talk clearly. They tell the world our goal is global domination under the one true God, Allah, with uh, Sharia law. And. Um, my question is, where do you see the Jewish people being in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years? Because the Jew in the diaspora has been trained that Israel is in a bad way, and we have to make them a beach, and we have to, to make campaigns to make financial targets for bad things, that only Israel is the target, being surrounded by their Arab brothers. They don't realize the Jews in the diaspora. I think the majority feel themselves to be living. They're Americans, they're French, they're Italians, they're safe. But now we see that uh, the target of the global Islamists is the Jew everywhere, as well as the infidel everywhere. Where do you see us being in 10, 20, 30 years? Okay. Now you ask me, uh, uh, yes, like a prophecy. I, I have not received. <laughs> prophecy about that subject, but but what I can tell you is that at every time of history, and now more than before, the situation of the Jewish people, Israel, diaspora, things like that, is like a, a barometer, like a barometer of the maturity of the surrounding space. It has been always like that. So your question is, will the surrounding space in America, in Europe, etc., will 
it uh, uh, surmounted, comment dit, overcome his fear or not, I don't know. I, what I can say is that fear and phobia is a very perverse position. Because when someone is caught in phobia, he can uh, exaggerate the reason of the phobia. That, oh, I'm afraid. You can say, no, please, you can come with me. There is no danger. Look, look at me. I'm, no, 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 it's terrible. This, I don't know to what level <laughs> the media, the government, the culture are ready to uh, over, overcome that uh, kind of perverse strategy. Maybe uh, some traditional anti-Semitic in Western world can uh, use that opportunity to hide behind Islamic uh, violence against Jewish people? Maybe, maybe not. I think the, the game is open, really open, and I think it really depends on what, on your understanding of the question and on your ability to make the other understand the, the stakes. It is very, very evident because the Jewish that were assimilated were perceived as hidden inside the identity, like a microbe, like a virus, inside, deep inside. So it raised for the Aryan Nazi German identity, it raised a, violent, a very violent anxiety. So you have to take them from the place where they were supposed to hide. But for them, the Jewish were not hiding. They were living. Just, they were just living with the others. But if the other has a... It means that the real globalization is not what they tell it to be. The real globalization is the solidarity. You are responsible of the maturity around you. That is, if you are surrounded by stable identities that cannot accept some kind of problems, 
you, you have to be aware it can be dangerous for you and for others and for itself because those who suffer from a, a stable closed identity are also the people who are inside that identity yes That's a, I cannot uh, give you a program. I, you are living. Where are you living? In Montreal. In Montreal. You try to find what you want to express. You will encounter the obstacles very fast, very evidently, and you will have to uh, cross over to uh, overcome the, the obstacles. I don't give you a program. I don't know you. Maybe you are uh, uh, an orthodox religious woman and you want to promote another uh, deeper approach to tradition. Please try to do it. You will find obstacles. Maybe you are a Zionist that want to promote the strength and development of Israel state. Please try. You will find that what I say is you will find the obstacles and you will try to solve. What? I think I think uh, I, I am not afraid. If you, if you if you want my own feeling, I'm not afraid. But maybe I have been raised in a context where I well I I told you I were I was surrounded by uh, scornful, arrogant people who were de uh, despising you. And I was very young, and this didn't make me suffer. I just wondered why they were so uh, expressing so great scorn, what, who they are, and who we are. And this made me uh, think deeper, but I never felt fear, really, about that kind of problem. Uh, maybe I am uh, I'm not... Uh, a fearful man, but it depends. I think people can can remind some events of the history. I think there is a real problem, but for me the problem doesn't come from Islam. Doesn't come from fundamentalism, from radical Islam, for me. Because it's normal that in Islam people 
look for the, uh, for the roots, for the fundamentals. They take them, they, they behold them, they say, wait, we, we want that. They, it's normal, it's their identity. What uh, puts me a problem is the attitude of the others. That if the others uh, uh, prevent you from speaking, for instance, from doing caricatures, they say, I, I read, I have read terrible articles in the press in, in France. I read after the caricatures of uh, Charlie Hebdo, I read an article by a uh, uh, Muslim writer, famous, called Ben Jeloun. He said, uh, liberty is sacred. We live in a country where liberty of expression is an absolute value that we cannot discuss it. So you, you, you read, you are happy, and you follow, and you follow, and you find. But uh, was it necessary to put oil on the fire? You wonder, but if the fire is lit uh, since uh, centuries and is supposed to be lit for, center, for centuries, if you have to, to, to shut up uh, in order not to put, uh, uh, to, to, to make this fire uh, more vivid, so the liberty is finished. And he concludes his article by saying, anyhow, Mahomet, was not in the caricatures because Mahomet is not a person. It is a transcendence, a spirit. So when you read this in a, a, a text by a rational person, you are, you can get uh, scared. You can say, who are the people who forbid another expression and allow this one. This is the reason that I can uh, fear. I fear from cowardice of the surrounding space, not of Islam. I don't think even fundamentalist. This is my point of view. More yes, what you want? I don't, uh, I never understood what he means, but I have not time to, to read him. What does he mean by nomad? Because uh, nomad, for me, I knew them, I lived with them in Morocco. Nomad are very stable people. They come, they start from a point, they arrive to the other point, after they come back exactly the same way. So, I don't know, but uh, in Europe there is a mode 
of nomad, you will find intellectuals that are very uh, settled in their life, in their work, and they say, we are nomad. Okay, it doesn't disturb me. Uh, on the other hand, I think that uh, this is the purpose of this book, from identity to existence, it is to explain that uh, the value for me of Jewish people is a, a collective existence that is uncontrolled. Nobody in Jewish people controls. Everyone can control its community. When you travel, you are impressed by the kind of control upon every community. Well, this is the enjoyment of every uh, rabbi, every uh, 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 manager. But the Jewish people is an uncontrolled mode of existence in a mosaic way, which is in a very close resonance to what is happening to people. People are cut from uh, uh, frames that were very heavy, solid, they, and they look for existing, for trying to, to, to put in question the the traces of the identity they have, and to, to make them fruitful. And I think, yes, there will be, and they, I can feel it, I can tell you that there is a lot of people that would like to be closer to Jewish people, and this, and it is the Jewish uh, managers who put them, uh, uh, push them. They know it's difficult, but they want to, to be close. There is, we spoke about anti-Semitism, but you have to know there is a great sympathy also towards the Jewish people, the Jewish kind of existence, not in a political way, but something fascinates when you look at that people who always find another kind of solution uh, in, a in the problem of life. And I think, and I showed it as a psychoanalyst, I wrote a book to show that the experience of psychotherapy and of psychoanalysis is very uh, strange because it helps individuals to touch what I call their Judaic point. Not to be converted to Judaism, not to be included in traditional religion, but to get to their existential point, which is uh, out of the identity.